welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We're really excited because we're, we're launching... Over the next six weeks, we're going to go on a, a journey together into our next sermon series. I'm not going to talk too much about it now, but we do have a video for you to see. So in the hustle bustle of life and school and commute and career, in the midst of that hurly-burly, sometimes we get tired. We feel like that hamster on running on the wheel or a little bit like butter on, uh, on toast scraped a little bit too thin. We're all looking for a way of life that works. And we want a lifestyle, a way of being with God and being one another, where there's room for love and for us to grow in love. Dallas Willard was once asked by a man that he was discipling, how can I be the best me that I can be? Dallas said, that's simple. You have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So this guy wrote that down and said, okay, what else? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. You have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So we're going to explore that together as a community over the next six weeks. We're going to explore on Sundays and in our collectives some spiritual practices, some exercises to make room in our lives so that we can connect more deeply with one another, with God and our own soul. And, and so that we can grow together as a community into being a people of love. So we're very fortunate that we have as our first speaker in the series, Hannah Heather. And uh, she's all the way from Guilford to Woking and now Guilford. So she made it. <laughs> Figuring out how to do these three services in a morning. So she needs a little bit of prayer, guys. This is number three this morning. Do you want to stretch your hand? And uh, yeah, Father, we say, blessed is she who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we receive Hannah with joy. And Father, just strengthen her on the inside by your spirit. Just put a fire in her belly, Lord. <laughs> and may your word go forth from her lips to glorify you and to beautify us. Just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jill. And good morning to you. It is so wonderful to be with you guys. And, you know, they say third time's a charm. So you've chosen the right service today. Um, and believe me, I do, I do painfully appreciate the irony of preaching on hurry three times before midday <laughs> um, and four times before I go to bed tonight. But here we go. Hurry the ruthless elimination. We are so excited to be launching this series today. Has anybody managed to read the book yet? Yeah, a couple of hands. And we're like, we're smiling, we're liking it. Yes, two thumbs up. That's what we like. And this book, um, I would actually, I would really recommend you guys to read this and do this journey with us. It's written in an incredibly gentle and chatty style. And so it's lovely and you're just kind of cozy and you're like, ah, oh, it's really easy to read, it's really nice. And then suddenly you get this like gut punch of like, oh my goodness, I might actually have to change my life <laughs> if what this book says is true. And it is truly one of the most challenging things I've read in recent times. So do 
pick up a copy and join us in reading it. And um, today it's really my job and my privilege to launch this series and to just set the scene a little bit for why hurry might be a problem for us. And some of us watching that trailer with the lovely Jill might have heard that quote from Dallas Willard. He was an American philosopher and one of the greatest voices on spiritual formation of our time. And you will have heard that quote like, hurry is the great enemy of our time. You must ruthlessly eliminate it. And maybe you'll hear that and think like, really guys? <laughs> like, we have spent six weeks on this? Like there are so many problems in our world today. And if someone were to ask me, what is the greatest enemy of your faith? I doubt that that would have really even made the list. Like there's lots of things I would have thought of first. And maybe that is you today. And I would just challenge you that actually the deeper we go into this, the more we just might see that underlying a lot of those other problems that we're quicker to think of might be something in our pace of life our lifestyle, and the way in which we move through the world. So we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at this. And the famous psychologist Carl Jung once said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Which I don't know about you, but when I hear de the word devil, I don't think of my endless to-do list or the constant notifications pinging in on my phone or the need to cram another thing into my weekend. I don't think of those things. And yet, we're about to see the effect of hurry is actually devastating on our emotional health and our spiritual lives. John Mark Comer, in, in writing this book, he consulted with a psychologist who said something that I find profoundly troubling and challenging. And this psychologist said this, the number one problem you will face is time. Most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. Most people. Now I read that and think, maybe I'm in the exception. <laughs> but deep down I know there is no way I'm the exception to this rule. Most people are just too busy. How are you doing emotionally? How's your soul? If we're honest, is are more of our days a little bit like we get up and we're like rushing around trying to get the kids dressed and fed and they want the pink wellies but the pink wellies are in the car and we're rushing to try and get those and finally we get them out the door, we get them to where they need to go, we get to work, we get to our to-do list, we're rattling it off. 25 people want my time, someone else needs to meet with me, someone's phoning me, someone's texting me, it's go, 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 finally I get home, get the kids fed, get the kids to bed, eventually sit down and stop and for some reason feel the need to carry on the stimulus. So I put on the TV, I'm mindlessly watching something. I'm also on my phone, because it's not enough to have one stimulus. I have to have two, and I'm trying to sort of switch off, but really I'm still worrying, worrying, worrying. And then in my case, more often than not, the baby cries, I'm upsetting her, finally collapse into bed, and then do it all again. Anyone with me? <laughs> Does this story sound a little too familiar? What if we're just in a little bit too much of a hurry. Psychologists today actually diagnose people with something called hurry sickness. Psychology today defines this as 
a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Anyone encounter a delay on their way to church this morning? Like a kid was doing something or there was a stoplight and you know you're late like, and suddenly this rises up in us. We get flustered and frustrated. There's so much hurry around us. Everyone is busy. I even was walking down the street on my way to work on Friday and totally unprovoked, a random woman just commented to me, don't you just wish that we were designed with like four hands because then we could get so much more done. And I'm like, so I stopped her and I gave her a 20 minute talk and how you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Spirit of rebuke. No, that'd be so socially awkward. I was like, yes, absolutely. I have so much to do as well. And, um, but we're just, we're rushing. We're rushing through life. And I just wonder if our souls are not quite keeping up with the rush of it all. At the heart of our society, there's this desperate drive to do more, sell more, buy more, achieve more, accomplish more. If only we had more time, we could get it all done. And just to be clear, as we start this series, there are different kinds of busyness, okay? And there is a busyness that's like, I'm not wasting my life. I've got important stuff to do, and I'm doing things that are actually making a difference and changing the world. And that is a a brilliant kind of busyness. And by that definition, Jesus himself was busy. But there's a different type of busyness that's far more common, um, which is what Ronald Rollheiser calls pathological busyness. And this is where you don't have a lot to do, you have too much to do. And so the only way we can cram it all in is to speed up our minds and our bodies and our relationship to this frenetic pace of life just to get it all done by the end of the day. And this has big implications on our emotional life and on our spiritual life. Ronald Rollheiser says this, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So what are some of the symptoms that we might be feeling this sense of hurry, sickness? Ruth Haley Barton offers us nine of these, which we're going to have a look at now. And the first of these is irritability. (coughs) Okay, so this is where we're just we're just really quick to grouch at people, grump at people. We just know we're not always, people aren't always finding the best version of us because we're just a little bit grumpy. Probably those closest to us feel this one the most. We're irritable. Hypersensitivity. We're just kind of always a little bit on the defensive. Like it's just a little bit, a little bit on the defense. We're hypersensitive. Restlessness. 
This is where when we actually do have a chance to rest and slow down, we just can't switch off. It's like there's just too much kind of anxiety buzzing through our brains and like we lie down and try and go to sleep, but we just can't quite switch off. Have you ever had that feeling of just just the, the constant speed catches up to us even when we try to stop? And then workaholism, compulsive overworking. We just can't stop answering email after email or performing task after task. Some of us, not me, obviously I would never do this, but I imagine some people might check their phone kind of within moments of waking up. And if we do that, it's quite easy to just open up that email inbox, isn't it? And suddenly, before we know it, we are at work. Like, our workplace has immediate access to us. Within seconds of waking up, within seconds of my eyes opening, I'm suddenly flooded with all the things that I'm going to have to do. Think about this. 2007, the iPhone was invented. Before that, our workplace had a very different relationship to our home life. We can just constantly access this stuff, and we are constantly accessing it. So workaholism. Emotional numbness. This is where we just find that we, we, we kind of only have a strangely narrow range of emotion. The main things that we feel are anxiety and anger, just frustration. And with everything else, we just kind of feel a little bit flat. Out of order priorities. This is where basically we kind of forget like who we really are and what we're really called to, and we're just desperately attending to the urgent. And we sort of, our lives become very reactive instead of proactive. Lack of care for our bodies. Sleep. What a beautiful thing I once used to do before I had a child. Sleep. Do you know that before the invention of the light bulb with Thomas Edison, before that, the average amount that people slept a night was 11 hours. And then this light bulb comes along and suddenly we're able to stay up longer, achieve more, do more, cram more things in, and now the average is seven hours. Which a lot of us here are thinking, if I got that, I'd be delighted. Somehow we've gone from 11 to seven and we wonder why we're so exhausted all the time. Sleep, exercise, taking the time to prepare fresh, healthy food, all of this way of caring for our bodies begins to go. And then escapist behaviors. So this is where we don't really properly switch off. We just sort of try and escape. So like binge watching whatever it is that you like on Netflix or social media or shopping or even for some of us church. John Mark Comer uses this nice phrase, whatever your social narcotic of choice is. But what is that thing that we just kind of addicted to and it gives us a little rush of something but it doesn't really actually help us become who we want to become and then slippage of spiritual disciplines many of us know that when we're living lives of hurry and fast pace one of the first things to go is our spiritual discipline our quiet times our prayer life our commitment to the lord and our devotion to him that if we're honest that tends to go down as hurry goes up so happy Sunday, everyone. How are we doing with this list? Anyone like, oh, I am nine for nine on there. Um, like full honesty, I am as well. So uh, like this is 
this is a really important journey that we're all going to go on together. And the point is, this stuff is important, and it's not just our emotional health that is at stake. This quote is incredibly sobering from Wayne Miller. He says this, A successful life has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they are hurt and afraid and need our company. War on our spirit because we are too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. So drawing all of this stuff in and thinking about being followers of Jesus today in this frenetic fast-paced society that we live in. At the heart of following Jesus is two things, loving God and loving other people, right? Matthew 22, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is central to following, apprenticing in my life. And so our lives are to be oriented around love, And here is the central issue with this series. Hurry is incompatible with love. The problem with hurry is that it sneakily chokes away at both of those things. Think about it, our ability to love God. We've just thought about how quickly our spiritual practices, they just fall away when we're in a rush. And our ability to love other people. Like when you're in a rush, when you're in a hurry and you're trying to get somewhere, and someone interrupts you and someone comes across your path, is what they're going to get from you the most loving version of you? Someone cuts you up in traffic or drives too slowly, like someone was in front of me when I was driving here for talk number three, and I'm like, <laughs> come on. But it, like, what is coming out of me? Is it like deep love for my neighbor? Absolutely not. Hurry chokes away at both of these key pillars to walking with Jesus. <coughs> I can't love him well. And I can't love other people well because love takes time, right? Like love is painfully time consuming. And any one of us here who's been in a deep friendship or marriage or has children, we know that love is time consuming. It does not rush. It requires presence. But the commodity that so many of us simply don't have is time. Hurry is sneaky because it isn't sin. It doesn't actually feel that wrong. In fact, I would argue here in Guildford, it's even kind of applauded, right? Think about it. You're in the church foyer after this, and you're having coffee, and someone's like, oh, how are you doing? And how often are we like, yeah, yeah, good, busy. And it's like, great, cool, me too, that's awesome. Like, this is our pace of life. It's applauded, it's encouraged, And yet we've just seen the fruit of it on our lives, like the way in which it chokes our love of God and love of other people. John Mark Comer says it like this, this new speed of life isn't Christian, it is antichrist. Think about it. What is the highest value in Christ's kingdom economy? Easy love. Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. I want us to open up our Bibles in a moment and think about Jesus, because he modeled this so profoundly well for us in his relationship to time. I'm um, working on a thesis at the moment (coughs) with a professor in Oxford who's a psychologist, and she's written 
a lot about in order to live a life where we're flourishing and to live well, we need to be goal-oriented and driven and know where we're going. But we also need to be able to be radically present to the moment in which we find ourselves. So the technical terms for this is we need to be telic, which comes from telos, which means that sense of meaning and purpose and direction. We know where we're going, but we also need to be paratelic, which means the ability to suspend that next thing and be in this thing. And when we think about the life of Jesus, think about how incredibly present he was. This is a sidebar, by the way, but I just want to raise it quickly because think about your phone if you've got a smartphone or possibly it's in your pocket or your bag there's a study a secular study that came out on the effect of the iPhone and it says this if you grow dependent on your smartphone it becomes a magical device that silently shouts your name at your brain at all times now that makes it incredibly difficult to be radically present to the person in front of me in any given moment. I've always got something shouting at my attention. That is a sidebar, but let's look at Jesus. Think about the way he lived. Jesus had the greatest mission possible. He was on his way to save humanity. Like we think our lives are important and they are, but like sometimes we just need that perspective of like Jesus was on his way to save humanity. He was He had a lot going on. He was busy, he was goal-oriented, and yet he was almost alarmingly interruptible, right? Like, think about the Gospels and the life of Jesus and how many times he's walking along the road and someone comes and stops him and says, Jesus, can you come to my house and have dinner? Or Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? Jesus, can you do this? Can you come here? And he's constantly like, yep, let's go. Like, what direction is your house? Like, I'm going to change my direction and I'm going to be present to this person and this moment. And if Jesus, think about if he didn't, think about if Jesus didn't live like this for a moment. Like, imagine Jesus was just constantly that sense of busyness. Like, he's walking somewhere. He's on his way to the next big preach, so he doesn't even hear the blind man at the side of the road calling his name. Like, he's too busy on his way somewhere. We wouldn't have so much of the teaching of the Gospels We wouldn't have so many of his miracles. His ability to be interruptible was key to following him. And so we're going to look at this question of, was Jesus distractible and unfocused? Or do we really need to redefine our idea of what it means to be focused? Jesus was just profoundly awake to and present in every moment he found himself in and every person that was in front of him. If you've got your Bible there, we're going to open up together at Mark chapter 5 and we're going to look at, you may know this beautiful story where a lady who has an illness which is causing her to bleed comes to Jesus and she gets healed simply by touching his clothes. So Mark chapter 5 And we're going to start at verse 23. And I want you to note the way in which Jesus is literally pressed by the crowd. He, the context here is he's traveling from one place to the next and the crowds are constant. Think for a moment about the social pressure that that would be causing him or should be causing him if he was more like us rather than 
us more like him. But think about the pressure of the fact that everyone wants something from him. Everyone wants to talk to him. Everyone wants to be with him. He's going from one place to the next. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. Verse 23, he, Jairus, this incredibly important official in the town, pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Classic moment of interruption in Jesus' schedule. He goes with Jairus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, it's important to note here, she wants to touch his clothes, not him, because she is what was known as ritually unclean, because she was bleeding. And so it was illegal for her to touch other people, particularly a religious person or a rabbi, because she would then make that person ritually unclean. So she should not be here. She should not be in this cry, but she has risked everything to come and try and get close to this man, Jesus, and think, I won't touch him, but if I can just touch his clothes, it'll be enough. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Jesus turns around. Think about that for a moment. He is so radically present to this woman. He turns around. He's so aware of her. The disciples are like, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask, who touched me? They're like, Jesus, come on. Every, everyone's trying to touch you. And more importantly, like, we're in a hurry. <laughs> This guy Jairus is really important. We're on our way. Like, let's keep it moving. But a second time, the Bible says Jesus kept looking for her. Verse 32. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. She is terrified. Like, she is a lawbreaker. But Jesus, so powerfully present to this person in front of him. He looks her in the eye and he says this, verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Feel the affection in that daughter. This is someone who is on the outskirts of society, who is banished, who is not allowed to touch people, who should not be there. And Jesus, the man of the moment, the man of the time, looks her in the eye and calls her daughter. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here's the thing. She already had her physical healing. The moment she touched him, she was physically healed. But she had to be, in order to come back into society, she had to be declared healed by a priest, by a rabbi, by a religious man. But nobody would see her because she's not allowed to be there. And so what Jesus does in this moment when he turns around is he draws attention to the fact that she is healed, which means that the whole town knows that she is once again welcome. It's not enough that she's better. He wants her to be happy. 
Jesus turned around. Here's the thing about Jesus. He was busy. He was focused. He was on his way somewhere really important. But he was not in a hurry, which meant that he turned around. I wonder how many of us, as we're going through our day and we're rattling off our to-do list, how many moments that we miss because we don't turn around to see who might need us, who might need us to look them in the eye with that affection, right? Who might need us to raise them up? Jesus turns around. He's radically present to the moment. Where might your sense of purpose or strategy, your busyness have overtaken your awareness of the people right in front of you? Where are you too important to be interruptible? You see, the problem with hurry is that it removes our ability to be present in the moment and to love well those in front of us. But this is our calling as followers of Jesus, right? To love God, to love the people around us. How do we do this? We have to receive love from God. And how do we do that? We have to actually make space and make time in our lives to allow him to love us. Like that hour that we book in the prayer room, that that quiet time in the morning that we carve out to get on our knees and spend with God. We have to allow that, allow him to love us, receive love from him and give love back to him that we can then go out and live our day radically loving the people around us, our neighbors. And the trouble is hurry. It just doesn't let us do either of those, right? It chokes It chokes them both. Hurry sabotages these things. It kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. Love is slow. That's why Paul, when he's describing love in 1 Corinthians 13, what is the first thing he names? Love is patient. It requires us to slow down and take a deep breath. It is time-consuming. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking some solutions to this, some ways to live well in this frantic pace of life that we find ourselves in. And I would really encourage you to go on this journey with us. Maybe today you want to think of someone that you could be accountable to, like buddy up with them, and maybe sit with this list and just think, where am I on this? And this is not this is not a place of judgment. This is we want to like actually grow and change as a community. We want to, by the end of this five weeks, wouldn't it be so amazing to think of this list and think, I've actually come quite far in these few weeks. And so we're going to go on this journey together. And I encourage you to really be accountable to someone in this. And today I simply want you to just do a little soul check. Just take a little moment to think, how am I, how am I doing? How am I doing emotionally? Am I surviving or thriving? Am I walking in those rhythms of grace that the Bible talks about? Maybe for you, it isn't even so much the hurry thing as the distractibility. Like maybe it's the technology. Maybe for whatever reason, between Netflix or your phone or whatever it might be, you just feel this inability to be present to the moment, to be awake to the person in front of you. And so what I want us to do is just close our eyes for a moment. Just take a breath. And I'm going to 
pray the words of Jesus over us. He invites us this morning into a lifestyle that is different. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, we want to be people of love. We want to love you well. And we want to love those around us well. So in this quiet space, would you begin to minister to our souls? We look to you. Help us to slow down. Help us to reorient our lives once again around loving you and loving people. In Jesus' name, amen.